Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. In the effort to stem youth use of vaping products, Health Canada announced its final vaping products promotions regulation last week, which set out measures to restrict the advertising and promotion of vaping products to youth. Central to the government's approach is a strict requirement to display health warnings on all vaping products promotions and point-of-sale materials. While overall the new regulations are welcomed by industry, it's becoming increasingly difficult for stakeholders to accept what may be considered as the original sin of the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, the enshrinement of vaping as a health hazard rather than a tool for harm reduction. The notion that vaping is a health hazard imbues the regulatory framework and nowhere does one find a comparison of the potential health benefits of vaping to the known dangers of smoking. What is hazardous to health could never provide a health benefit and so the argument goes. Joining us today on RegWatch is Sam Tam, president of the Canadian Vaping Association and tireless advocate for vaping. Sam, thanks for coming back on the show. Brett, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. So Sam, we have a lot of details to get into today and hopefully we can provide some answers and soothe a few nerves where needed. First off though, for those who may be unfamiliar with the CVA, give us the lowdown. The CVA's been, uh, uh, since inception back in 2014, was uh, created by uh, uh, the founders of the CBA were, uh, you know, uh, retailers, uh, people within the vape industry, uh, small businesses. Um, and uh, during that time, when the industry was uh, not regulated and government was looking to regulate the industry, uh, you know, these group of advocates uh, felt that, uh, you know, uh, they needed to set up an organization uh, that would uh, have the ability to uh, uh, communicate with government uh, to ensure that we do have equitable and sensible regulations for the vape industry. And um, I mean, how, how much of a challenge has that been gathering together the industry? Because that was really new. I mean, it had only been a couple of years old. You know, I think it's, it has been quite challenging. Um, you know, I think the re most important part is, you know, if we look at uh, the history of uh, the Canadian vape industry, uh, most uh, of the vape shops uh, had, that have been open uh, really started to, uh, to open back in 2013. Uh, we saw an influx of uh, a number of um, retailers that expanded their business over the years. But I think the most important thing is uh, that we do remain united. And I think what we can expect from government now is the government expects us to unite the industry um, when we do speak with uh, Health Canada, one of the requirements that they've asked of us is to make sure that we do get the industry compliant and to work with all stakeholders uh, that are involved uh, to ensure that we do comply with regulations. So walk us through what was released last week. These were advertising, promotions, and point-of-sale specific regulations, correct? That's correct. Not only uh, at the point-of-sales promotion, but it covers audio, visual, um, and uh, I believe audio, visual, and um, and video, right? So it covers all three aspects of it. So uh, it includes also social media as well. Um, so the uh, vaping products promotion regulations covers in two parts. One's part one that covers advertising and sales, uh, point of sales promotion, right? Anything within the store. Uh, and also uh, part two covers uh, audio, visual, and um uh, audio, visual, and, uh, and I guess, uh, you know, I'm trying to think there's a third one there, but uh, pretty much uh, anything in regards to broadcast media, 
uh, that would be all covered under the regulation. So let's let's cut to the issue that is obviously you know uh, instigated so much of this. Canada is in that unique position uh, amongst countries that you know Health Canada took a step to legalize vaping. The government did working with Health Canada. There was really a stamp of approval that was put on vaping. This was pre. Uh, I would say pre-Jewel and the big tobacco brands entering into the marketplace. So describe for us what kind of happened there in terms of the, your organization's overview of what happened to the Canadian marketplace around May 2018, just as you know the TVPA and for everybody, the Tobacco Vaping Products Act. So that's the act that actually covers and has made vaping legal in Canada. That became law May 2018. And then by September 2018, you know, the wheels had come off. Yeah, and I, I think we have to look at is during that time in 2018, um, new products were entered into the marketplace, right? And these products are relatively, in terms of nicotine concentration level, were uh, extremely high, uh, as high as, uh, you know, we can look at, and as high as 10 to 20 times more nicotine than the uh, conventional products that were sold during that time in the marketplace. Uh, but not only that, but you have... Uh, where you have in terms of the access of, of the channel uh, now from you know being products being available in the thousand vape shops now you have products now available in 20,000 stores across the nation so one of the issues is now you've got a lot more access an extremely high nicotine concentration level at uh, places where um, you know young young persons uh, congregate right so I think one of the issues is that um, now you've got uh, massive advertising that's being put out by uh, tobacco companies where, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of the advertisings are, that are uh, in non-age restricted channels, right? Right beside the gums and candy that, that had really become a problem, right? So uh, if we look at, you know, someone that's not, um, uh, doesn't have the recognition or knows what the, what the product is, is getting exposed to uh, understanding that uh, now these products are, uh, are in their face. Right, so I think even look at the messaging, right? So when you have advertising messaging that says, hits the spot, perfect puff, these aren't, these aren't messages of harm reduction or messages that uh, are trying to communicate with the smokers, right? So I think it's really important that we identify that, why there was tremendous use uptake during start of 2018 and that we're experiencing now. Um, and, and that's why we do support uh, some of the restrictions that the government's put in place when it comes to advertising and promotion and even national ban on advertising, right? So, um, you know, we, we need to ensure that these products are uh, continue to be marketed towards adult smokers in age-restricted environments, right? So, um, and I think it's unfortunate that uh, some of the companies have taken full advantage of that, and now we are, are, are dealing with tougher regulations for the vape industry. So we asked this question uh, to everybody pretty much ever since the, the teen epidemic happened. We've been, we're, we've been a bit skeptical on that, but it, it, there's no point banging your head against the wall um, on issues with when the government is moving in that direction and the public believes it is, and it could very well be. So, I mean, I don't know. CVA, though, has definitely, you know, recognized there's a problem with use youth. Absolutely. Um, and I think some of the recommendations that we put forward to government uh, includes restricting advertising to uh, adult-only channels, right? So age-restricted environments. And also, uh, we've uh, recommended a national ban on advertising, right? If we look at it, I mean, there's no reason why uh, a vaping advertisement should be in a hockey rink, 
or a uh, or a billboard or even on national TV, right? So I think it's very important. Uh, not only that, but we also further recommended the government to look at uh, age verification uh, when it comes to online sales, right? So some of the things that we've been doing is uh, we had a board member that developed software uh, in terms of age ver age verification software that would stop a, a young person from purchasing the product, right? And this goes through uh, Equifax when it comes to verification. Uh, so we don't have to deal with privacy law issues. Um, and we've done that and we present that to the government. So we are uh, trying to be a partner when it comes to dealing with youth uptake and we've offered these solutions to Health Canada. And, and that's what we're seeing in, in today's regulations on the vaping products and promotions regulations uh, that's being put forward. So there is a, um... There's been a quite a bit, obviously, of uh, media coverage in Canada. I'm, I'm scrolling some global stuff. This is just Canada that was gathered right before we had our interview last spring with the Director General of the Tobacco Control Directorate, uh, James Van Loon. And it's quite stunning, uh, just the level of media coverage and how just how far one-sided it was. Being the CVA, you guys had to first, you know, fight against this, and then you had Evali come up after Talk about the media environment for us and, and your experiences dealing with national media on these two issues, which roll into each other, vaping epidemic of youth, youth vaping epidemic, and then the vaping-related lung illness. Fred, it was, it was a quite busy 2019, I have to say that. Uh, you know, we've been focusing a lot of our efforts on uh, engaging the media, right, uh, changing uh, the perception of, of vaping. Uh, and I think... You know, we do recognize that there's an issue, right? Uh, we're not hiding from that. You know, youth vaping is an issue, and that's something that we've addressed this to Health Canada, that, uh, you know, we, we would do whatever it takes to, to uh, deal with those uh, issues and have solutions for them. And, and we've been talking about some of our recommendations, solutions, and being put forward. Uh, and we've been addressing that in front of media as well, right? And I think one of some of the challenges that we're facing is the media isn't taking the positive effects that vaping has has done for a lot of uh, former smokers right if we look at you know going back to 2013 you know uh the smokers you know those are had the will to to quit really went into a vape shop and really present themselves and say hey how would i get started to quit uh, smoking you know um and you know if we fast forward today i mean we've converted if not hundreds of thousands million a million vapors uh, uh you know that have quit smoking cigarettes um it's a big number, right? And we have to recognize that, right? Uh, and it's really important for us to not only educate uh, the media, and I think we will eventually because the science and the data will eventually support that. Uh, and we can look at a lot of that information from Europe. Europe has a lot of studies and data that's being presented. And uh, we know there's regulations in Europe that, uh, that addresses some of the concerns that uh, public health is looking at, right? Whether, what, what are the harmful effects of vaping, whether it's toxic or not, um, regulations are in place in Europe to address that. And I think we're going to see that coming in Canada. And, uh, you know, I think one of some of the challenges is really changing that narrative, right, and focusing that, you know, we are going to be working with the government to ensure that we we're part of the solution when it comes to dealing with youth uptake and how we're going to address that. But most important thing is we can't forget those adult smokers that have converted to vaping, right? Uh, and we have to recognize that it is a less harmful alternative to combustible tobacco. And I mean, that definitely is the case. I'm going to just pop us over here to uh, deep inside uh, the vaping products promotion regulations that were just released last week. 
And you were mentioning a big number. There was another big number uh, that I came across here, which which was great to see. So they've got some overview on numbers here according to 2017. I, I wish those were a little bit uh, sooner, but let me just, where exactly? Overview of the Canadian, the overview, the, here it is right here. You know what, I can't find it right off the bat here. So what I've got for the numbers here, according to a 2019 market study, the vaping products market in Canada was estimated to be approximately $1.36 billion. That's last year. That is a big number and not one yet that I've seen anybody be able to put to the industry. And I mean, what did you think when you saw that? I mean, did you just know that? Of course, of course it's that big. No, actually I, I, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I don't think uh, a lot of us knew, knew that the uh, vaping market was, uh, was, uh, was that large in Canada. And I think, um, you know, it's really interesting. We would like to see the data, uh, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, that, that is something where uh, I think for a long time we thought it was half of that, right? So it also shows that um, there are there have been a lot of people that have transitioned from smoking to vaping, right? And I think um, we have to, to look at today's technology compared to the past. Te technology today is, is extremely more effective and much more easier for, uh, for smokers to convert. And uh, there's no doubt, you know, uh, when it comes to access, Right, uh, you know, twenty thousand outlets, convenience stores, vape shops, offering these products. Uh, there's no doubt there's people that are going to try the product. But I think one of the major concerns that the government has put forward is that the issue that that uh, the focus what we have to deal with is uh, how do we solve or deal with the youth uptake issue, which is the government's priority. And we've seen it not only at the federal level but at, across all provinces that um, you know dealing with youth uptake. Addressing those issues is the priority of all governments and different levels of government. Mm. So, okay, I'm going to get out a hard question, uh, it, or I don't know if it's hard. It's more an observation. Feel free to bat it away, you know, deathly if you can or want to. But that is, you know, we've just gone through four months of total lockdown, and I've not heard any news that there's still, you know, I mean, didn't the kids just get all washed out? I mean, shouldn't they have just all lost their vaping addiction because their parents have been watching them all day long and they've been locked in the house where have they been getting their supplies like just the whole vaping epidemic thing seems to be carried mostly still on 2018 and 2019 data and and i'm wondering about public health going why weren't they why hasn't they been saying this has been a great opportunity with covid to get our kids off of nicotine instead it's like almost a frozen epidemic and i'm just wondering if anybody's thought about that that the effect that covid has had like maybe it's washed some of this epidemic away. Well, Brett, I think some of the major challenges that we're facing in the industry is, and we we brought this uh, to Health Canada as well, is that um, in Canada, surely we can control access and where the products are sold. But let's not forget we we have open borders, right? So this doesn't stop, you know, a, a young person from buying a prepaid credit card or getting access to a credit card and buying products uh, internationally. Right, so they can order from the U.S., they can order from China. There's no restrictions when it comes to that. And not only that, I mean, you know, one of the key things that we've always asked the government to do is we have to look at how are we going to be able to close up the borders, right, and to screen all the products that are coming into the country. Because one of the major issues the industry has been working really hard on is being compliant to the Canadian regulations. So this covers not only labeling and packaging regulation, 
uh, but marketing as well. And one of the challenges that uh, you know that we face is that there's no restrictions or uh, the border hasn't been put up, right? So anyone can bring in these products that are non-compliant, right? So as the Canadian industry is working really hard to comply with government regulations, we're also facing the black market. We're also facing the illegal products coming into the country that we haven't really addressed, right? So that is something that we continue to push and present to government that we have to really deal with that, right? How do we age restrict uh, kids from buying products, uh, you know, internationally, right? Um, and that is a major concern. Fair enough. And uh, well done, too. Good answer. Um, so when it comes to these regulations, then let, let's let's do this. I'd like to dive into some of the details, um, specifically what you may or may not find that work well. And some of it I know that you CBA advocated for, which is I think is, is you know, really is a strong uh, is a very I'm trying to figure out a way to compliment you guys in terms of being forward stepping on these regulations because we've been covering this now for five years, you know, alongside with your guys' efforts. And it's tough to move regulators. And it's hard when, you know, the world's collapsing in with, you know, what is international, you know, media events going on um, that, you know, are life and death for some people. There's no doubt. We've got a interview uh, with um, Rob Cunningham, who's the senior policy analyst at uh, the Canadian Cancer Society. He did with Mike Smith here in Vancouver, uh, CKNW Radio 980. And uh, this was done uh, on July 9th, so just last week, right after the regulations came out. And um, it, you know, it's an interesting uh, bit of sound that we've got. I've got about two minutes of that 15-minute piece, so let me just go to that right now. Vaping now has been a big problem in our country and in our province for sure. I remember back when the schools were open, on, uh, there's a high school close to my house. If I ever walked my dog by there or whatever, one of the things you could always count on seeing was a group of kids surrounded in a vapor cloud. A lot of these kids were vaping. You'd even have kids vaping right in class in front of the teacher. This is what they used to call stealth vaping. Some of these vape pens are so small, you just tuck them into your pocket and your jeans and take a quick puff even uh, at any place, any time. It's troubling. Now, check this out. New advertising restrictions brought in now by the federal government to prevent advertising from targeting young people to take up vaping. This Canadian government announced the, these regulations this week, it will now be prohibited to advertise vacant uh, vaping products in public spaces where they can be seen or heard by youth. Thanks, Mike. Good to be with you. What do you think of these advertising restrictions on vaping? Well, we, uh, we strongly support them. I guess that'd be no surprise. We are very, very concerned by this dramatic increase in youth vaping. Canada-wide, um, over a four-year period for grade uh, 10 to 12 students, it's increased from 9% to 29%, more than tripling. And <laughs> now, why? There's a number of factors, but one of them is advertising. And in uh, mid-2018, the tobacco companies entered the market. Uh, once e-cigarettes with nicotine were actually legalized, technically they'd been illegal before, and they had these uh, extensive advertising campaigns, um, you know, which harkened back to decades ago what they did for tobacco advertising. And while there are now some um, restrictions on the content of ads in terms of people and in terms of lifestyle advertising that's banned, there was federally, uh, or, or in B.C., 
there was no restrictions on the location of ads. Right. So there's ads on television, on radio, on billboards, on social media, in uh, print publications, on the internet, all kinds of places, outside shopping malls. Uh, I think I think there's a, an issue with respect to the SkyTrain. Um, and um, so that's going to change with these regulations. And those, anywhere that would all they, be banned be, now. All those ads would be banned now, right? That's correct. Yeah. They can only be in places such as a, a vape shop where kids can't get into, potentially a bar or a casino, or if you can have some online ordering system where you can have some legitimate age verification. Mm. Uh, so it's going to be much more curtailed. We would have liked a total ban on everything um, except in, in vape shops. Even the Canadian Vaping Association would support that. Uh, but these regulations are a huge advance. They're going to protect kids, and, and, and we're, we're supportive of what Health Minister Patty Hyde has done. So there you go. And that is uh, one of the biggest critics of the vaping industry overall, um, providing you guys a bit of a shout out uh, in terms of sharing some position uh, on this issue. How important is that? To be honest, Brad, I didn't really expect that. But, uh, you know, I think it's important, right, because we, we're on the same page when it comes to uh, vaping products, uh, you know, uh, in terms of harm reduction. I think the most important thing is uh, going back to how this industry was really built was, you know, was uh, adult smokers looking for a less harmful alternative and the vape shops provided that. Right. And, and we were the gatekeepers, you know, for uh, for. for OK, that for sounds like pretty close time. to almost like a blanket ban on advertising, advertising on, on vaping. Although, uh, so, so where would they be allowed to continue to advertise vaping products? Like like you mentioned, it would have to be in somewhere that's age restricted. Right. So like in a vape. Such a huge access across the country is we have to look at this point this way. It's hard for the government to control. How do you control 20,000 outlets? Uh, that are now offering these products. Uh, and most important thing is the product that they're offering is extremely high nicotine, right? As we know, you know, uh, and we have many discussions in regards to flavors and nicotine strength, you know, it's flavors is not what's addictive. It's, it's nicotine that's addictive. And I think the most important thing is uh, anything that's high concentration level uh, needs to be restricted in where they, they should be sold, right? Uh, I can't imagine, you know, back in the days when we look at a vape shop, someone that spoke two, three packs a day would uh, go into a vape shop and say, hey, I smoke two, three packs a day. What nicotine strength do I need to start off with, right? And th those users will most likely either use 12, anything 12 milligrams, 18 milligrams, or maybe even 24 milligrams, uh, whatever they need to, to get off of combustible tobacco. But now you have, you know, nicotine strength, you know, three, four times as much, uh, as high as uh, 59 milligrams of nicotine that's made available in uh, across the country in more than 20,000 outlets. So now you've got uh, a lot, you know, a lot of access, um, you know, I would say at a point where it's uncontrollable, uh, that's being a problem, right? So I think the most important thing is um, restricting access uh, would play an, uh, an important part uh, of reducing youth uptake, right? And I think uh, that's something that, um, uh, it's not going to be instant, but we will know uh, somewhere down the road as we see uh, advertising being restricted, um, and we'll see uh, the exposure to youth will be very limited, right? Any new products, they wouldn't be able to see it. And really focus back on these products are going to be uh, uh, detailed, marketed to adult-only environments, which is very important. Now, around this issue with nicotine, it was just after uh, CVA put their submission in, 
on the specific consultations. Now, last year, just to kind of clear up for people, if I can, because it's it's a little difficult. But um, so the the vaping epidemic hit in fall of 2018. It raised the alarm, uh, government researchers and health groups by December and the media. That's when CBC in the first week of December of 2018 did a you know, major piece. And they had mentioned actually that Dr. David Hammond's study um, at that time had already been used by government to help you know um, drive some of their movement forward. And so there was definitely before the end of the year in 2018, there was major movement going on. Now by January, that's when, by later January, that's when Health Canada actually issued a consultation with regard to the advertising and promotion and how changes could be made to that in order to affect youth use. There was um, labeling requirements uh, and so forth that seemed to be a separate uh, uh, track. And then there was, we went to Ottawa to interview uh, Director General Van Loon and it was literally the next day they were releasing their next consultation uh, paper, which was on uh, reducing youth appeal and access to vaping products. We'll talk a little bit more about that one in a second. So when it comes to the just the advertising and promotions one, what is the what would you say is the hardest thing if there is uh, for so, something in there for the industry to accept? Right, I think the hardest thing we'll really uh, to look at is um, age gating or age verifying uh, when it comes to online websites. Uh, you know, at the point of entry, uh, will be a challenge um, simply because uh, you know if we have to look at um, the software that we have to identify the software that's being involved, and if we have to look at that, you know, would age gating at the point of purchase? be sufficient, right? Because if we look at the cannabis and alcohol industry, um, you know, the LCBO doesn't age gate at the point of entry to the website, right? Kids can uh, open up a computer or their phone or get access and type in um, the website and they'll be able to be exposed to, um, you know, any type of alcohol or cannabis products in the marketplace. And I think, you know, age gating at the point of access and purchase um, should be sufficient. I think the government's put in place enough regulations that we have to comply, right? So we have to look at advertising and marketing. You can't use cartoon characters, um, animals. That's all being restricted. Not only that, but there's new health warnings that needs to go up on those websites, um, you know, and, you know, they're quite prominent. I mean, I think more than uh, one third of the page would have to have the health warning. So I think uh, the government has put forward some of the health warnings and uh, requirements uh, and I think uh, the message is going to be made very clear. But uh, when it comes to age gating at the point of entry of a website, that becomes quite challenging, right? And not only that, um, I think uh, if we're if the alcohol and cannabis industry is not required to do that, then uh, why is it fair that the vape industry has to uh, to implement uh, uh, such such measures, right? So I think that that's going to be the most challenging aspect of it, um, given that we already have very restrictive. Uh, regulations, right? If we go back to the TVPA, we can't, uh, you know, we see it in the media a lot. They talk about cotton candy, different flavors appealing to kids, and, and many public health uh, groups and, and organizations don't understand that uh, we can't name. There's uh, naming conventions that we have to abide by based on regulation. We can't call the product cotton candy. We can't call it um, bubble gum. Right, they have different names that uh, a young child, uh, sorry, a young person, 
wouldn't really uh, recognize, right? And the only way for, for anyone or an adult to recognize them is when they go into a vape shop and they get detail, uh, they can then ask, what is, uh, what is that flavor, right? So I think we have to understand the government, Health Canada has put a lot of regulation, right? If you look at Schedule 3, look at Schedule 2, um, there's already measures in place to, pro, uh, to prohibit uh, naming conventions that would be appealing to kids, right? So we look at confectionery, desserts, cannabis, soft drink, energy drink. Um, that's all in the regulations. So the government's already put a lot of restrictions in place, and the industries really follow that, right? We can't look at, um, you know, the industry in the United States. Uh, they don't have as robust regulations than, than, uh, than we have here in Canada. So a lot of the things that we hear um, from the media and from uh, public health groups is completely false, right? We have to understand that the government has put a lot of regulatory requirements in place, and the industry has uh, cooperated and, uh, and comply with that. Right. So we are trying to work with the government, do the best we can to limit that exposure. Uh, and that needs to be recognized. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it seems that one thing gets handled and then it's the next thing and then it kind of circles around and comes back. I mean, so much got handled in the TVPA. Um, it's just it's unfortunate that you know more layers have to get piled on, but the environment has changed. So overall, would you say that it was a detriment to the Canadian vaping industry to have big tobacco move in, because I know a lot of our viewers believe that. Brett, uh, it's quite interesting. I think uh, if we look at the history uh, of some of the actions by uh, tobacco companies and what they've done, um, and uh, of course they saw it as an opportunity uh, to enter the market uh, and of course make them available in, in, in uh, you know more than 20,000 outlets across the country. But I, I think the most important thing is you know, uh, these products should always be in the adult-only environment. Uh, it was That was the beginning how the products were sold. Uh, and now we have a problem where, uh, you know, there's a tremendous youth uptake here in Canada, and, how, and now we're going backwards to try to solve a problem um, that was created by them, right? So I think that's really important, right? If we look at the advertising promotion regulations, um, we saw big tobacco companies advertise everywhere, right? That, that is a major issue, right? Not only at gas pumps, when you pump your gas, we've seen it in hockey rinks, uh, public places, um, all over the place, right? And I, I think the question that we want to need to ask them is, you know, the, you know why couldn't they cooperate and, uh, and not to put that exposure out there, right? Because, uh, you know, I think when we look at harm reduction, you know, there's no doubt that we do want to, uh, when you talk about relative risk between smoking and vaping, we do want adult smokers to know and have that information. And, and we want to be able to provide that in an appropriate way in accordance with government regulations. But it's clearly that the big tobacco companies took advantage of the advertising, uh, uh, I guess you can say that open window before the regulations were put in place. Uh, and it really did hurt the vape industry a lot. There's no doubt about that. Uh, if we look at the vape industry, um, you know, no one that we know could afford to, to buy TV ads or have endorsements uh, for to celebrities or concerts or put them on Hockey Night in Canada or even radio ads or billboards, right? Um, and we try to make this a product really for adults uh, by, by limiting that exposure, right? At really at, uh, at age-restricted environments. Uh, but again, you know, when... And when the advertising can be seen anywhere and can be seen by young persons right beside the gums and candies, 
now we've got a major problem, right? Now that we have to deal with. Yeah, and you're mentioning uh, that the industry, you know, being what it is, you know, grassroots industry, it's not big tobacco, that's for sure. And uh, you don't have the big money to spend on advertising. And yet you did have to spend relatively big money to help fight the, the media um, issues that were going on. Describe that. So it's really important, you know, 2019, we had to spend uh, the effort uh, to really address um, not only Evoli, the lung illness that was mainly attributed by uh, THC, um, vitamin E acetate, um, that really caused a problem, and mainly in the United States and not so much in Canada. And, um, you know, we, we had to put a lot of our energy just to, uh, just to change public perception and the misconception about vaping in general, right? So vaping nicotine e-liquid uh, is very different than vaping uh, cannabis oil, and we had to differentiate that. And I think, you know, the industry has been uh, spending a lot of effort um, to clarify that. Right. It's unfortunate that we, you know, in some cases, we still see vaping being lumped together with vaping cannabis products. And if it's what I should address to a lot of people is when we brought this up to Health Canada, Health Canada also addressed that vaping cannabis oil is not vaping. Right. Um, you know, under the Cannabis Act, it's categorized as cannabis accessories. But no, nowhere do we really uh, use the terminology that vaping uh, is uh, vaping nicotine e-liquid is, is, is the same. And you know, I have to really at that time when that uh, when that when that uh, Evoli situation happened, and uh, we were getting a lot of negative public perception on vaping. You know, it was really great uh, to really see that um, Professor Hammond uh, put out an editorial that really addressed um, not only uh, academically, uh, but this was also published in the British uh, Medical Journal uh, that uh, vaping. Uh, you know, uh, the lung illness that's been attributed that's happening in the United States was predominantly uh, THC related, right? So uh, nothing to do with vaping nicotine. And it's really important to address that. And, uh, you know, I was on a conversation on the phone call with uh, Professor Hammond um, to, to see if he could allow me to distribute the, the materials to uh, decision-making policymakers and, of course, to different levels of government. So this is another example of somebody who's been a critic of the industry to the extent that, it, that he has coming out and providing a bit of cover. But absolutely. And I, I think uh, when we talk about harm reduction, right, uh, there's no doubt uh, the relative risk between vaping and smoking, it's very clear that vaping is less harmful. Uh, there's a lot of science uh, that we've seen over the years coming out of the UK. Um, you know, the Public Health England's been very supportive of vaping. Uh, vaping products are being prescribed uh, in the UK. Um, and of course, you know, talk about Europe, you know, they don't have a use uptake uh, issue. And, and, and there's a main reason for that, right? So, uh, and, and I think, um, you know, we, we look at the global stage uh, of vaping, you know, it has helped millions, not more than uh, probably at least more than 25 million people worldwide. And we know uh, Europe alone has more than 15 million vapors, and there's 10 million vapors in the United States. So we know it's helping uh, converting a lot of smokers to to a less harmful alternative worldwide. And that is true. I mean, there's there's no doubt there. Even though there's all this bad news, and with what's happening in the U.S. is certainly very concerning. 
uh, with the vaping bans and the PMTA and so forth. Um, there does seem to be, though, outside of the U.S., a bit of uh, an up movement. I, I, when we had Dr. Uh, Derek Yock, the president of uh, the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, on a couple of weeks back, his attitude was one that's kind of like, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn globally here. And the problem is so big. And e-cigarettes have demonstrated to be so effective that it's pretty much going to be very difficult to kind of shove that back in. Is that kind of the, the assessment here too as well in Canada? And maybe does Health Canada have that understanding? Well, I think we have to understand the, the you know, vaping products in general, right? Uh, we are dealing with nicotine, right? And in Canada, it is a Schedule F drug, right? Uh, of course, controlled by the government. Um, and we have to really look at nicotine around the world, uh, how it's being sold with vaping products that we, we should anticipate um, government is going to move forward with regulation. Um, to say that, you know, vaping has gone, uh, you know, has grown uh, exponentially and it's very difficult for the government to, to move forward with either bans or, or tougher regulations. Uh, I think what we really need to see is the vape industry working with government uh, to put in place strong regulations so we can protect not only um, youth, young people uh, around the world, uh, but uh, to really show that uh, this is a, a very effective tool that can work, but we need to put some rules in place and how it can be sold and how it can be marketed. Um, and I think if we look at globally, I mean, uh, the European Union is a great example of that. They've uh, done that. Not only do they have... Um, yeah, they have manufacturing regulations in place, right? They have uh, consumer product safety regulations in place. Um, and not only that, but um, some of the restrictions that they put on vaping products uh, has also shown um, to be, uh, you know, there isn't really tremendous youth uptake in Europe, right? Given that they do have 15 million vapors, uh, not more than 15 million vapors in Europe but they don't have the youth uptake because uh, the government's put in place some regulation that was really more intended for poison ingestion for, uh, for people, uh, for young, young children. Um, but uh, that also turned out to be uh, the, a solution when it comes to nicotine addiction by young people. We didn't really see an uptake on that in Europe. And, and a lot has to do with uh, the limit that they've set forward. And when we talk about nicotine concentration levels, right, um, there isn't a lot of data, but the only data we can really bring from that is really what's available in Europe, right? I mean, Europe's the only continent that's uh, regulated uh, with the nicotine cap, right? So that's that's the only data that we can draw from, right? There isn't really any other country uh, that has the data to support that or has restrictions on nicotine levels. And so that brings up uh, the issue with regards to the nicotine cap, because that's something the CVA kind of got uh, behind on their own to really kind of drive the bus on that, if if I'm not mistaken. And there seems to be, obviously, some pickup on that. You know, BC, uh, the health minister here, really jumped on board on the 20 milligram per milliliter cap. It's a, That's the cap that's in Europe, and that tends to be uh, talked about as one of the reasons why the youth have not picked it up, because nicotine is so addictive. So talk to us a little bit about this nicotine cap of... and reassure people on how it may or may not change the way they vape. Well, Brett, I think it's really important, you know, when, when the CV came out uh, with their position when it comes to nicotine concentration level, we just didn't pick a number. Um, you know, 
there's no doubt, you know, heavy smokers, they may require more nicotine um, or maybe a technology that could, um, that could deliver the nicotine uh, satisfaction that they require. But I think it's really important to address that we, we had to look where the data was, right? So we couldn't say, pick a number out of the hat and say, hey, you know, someone that smoked two, three packs a day, they were going to need potentially, you know, more nicotine. We don't have the data to really support that. Um, but we can only draft from the data that's available uh, out there, right? And, and that data is really what's available in the European Union, right? There's no uh, regulations or nicotine um, restrictions in the United States that we can look at. So the, the, the data, the number that, the, the number that we supported was really based on data-driven that's made available, right? So when we do present to government, we have to understand we can't just present them any number. It has to be factual-based. Um, and that's how we presented it. And getting ahead of the issue, though, must have been part of the uh, determination on your on your part, because the government didn't so you, didn't the government didn't say you know come up with a cap or suggest a number, as you said, right? So, no, you're right, Brad. So when when you know the government also relies a lot on data, right? So what what uh, what we do know is the government will look at the European Union. Um, and the regulations there and how it's affect, uh, you know, youth in general. Uh, and they'll look at other countries as well, which, uh, you know, in the United States as well and what the issues there. Of course, there's a tremendous uh, amount of uh, young, young persons vaping in the United States. Uh, and, and, and those data draws a comparison and, and uh, provides information to the government on how to make policy. Um, so I think, you know, there isn't really a lot of countries that are fully regulated. So there isn't a lot of information for us to get out there, but those are the information that we can uh, rely on uh, that's being put forward to us, right? So the industry is still relatively young, right? Right. So yeah, a lot of countries are regulated. No doubt. And I mean, look, there's a lot of seeding that's been going on. You know, when you're looking at some of Hammond's research and others, and you're listening to Cunningham and others, they always mention, you know, Europe, and they do kind of hold out that, look, well, things are not going so bad there. So the more that the more that the opposition, if for the you know lack of a better term, are pointing to the Europe as an example of of a good path to go, where youth aren't, you know, picking up uh, vaping in any strong numbers, I can totally see why you know you you look at that the nicotine issue, and and come up with that. You mentioned that there's innovation too that can happen still in this area, so there might be you know a, a happy medium. That's right, Brent. If we look at our industry, we've been quite innovative. I mean, in the early years, if we go back to 2009, you know, cigalites um, or, uh, you know, something, cigalites are uh, an e-cigarette that looks like a cigarette, you know, was very ineffective when it came to delivering nicotine. And uh, as we look at, that's where the evolution of the uh, ego style pen came, uh, it delivered uh, nicotine more effectively. Um, and of course, um, you know, it wasn't the most palatable. I mean, some people find the nicotine was quite harsh and how it's delivered, but you know, those that were, had a will to quit smoking really gave it a chance. And there's hundreds of thousands of those, uh, Canadians out there, you know, that really stuck with it, um, and had the will to, to quit smoking cigarettes. And those, those people stuck with, uh, the vape pen and then eventually graduated to mod, uh, of course, uh, mod, mod, uh, mods. Uh, that would deliver nicotine more effectively, but not only that, but it will also deliver um, the e-liquid uh, would be a lot more palatable. The flavors would taste better, and it was really easy for them to kind of transition to that because we know a lot of the 
uh, smokers that were looking to, to quit and switch, they would always start off with tobacco uh, flavors, no doubt about that. But once they discovered that there were better flavors out there than tobacco, because frankly, not everyone wants to smoke an ashtray um, flavor, they, they do find a flavor that they like. And w- once they do that, you know, they, they successfully transition. They don't go back to smoking cigarettes. And I think one of the key things, you know, I like to talk about, of course, is the, uh, the consultation uh, that, uh, that Health Canada put out uh, in regards to the results. Um, the government did acknowledge, right, 23,000, uh, you know, uh, postcards were well-received, right? And uh, more than two-thirds uh, of those people uh, vaped fruits to help them quit uh, smoking. Let me just uh, let me just make sure we catch this up for our viewers. There was a call out to vapors in Canada uh, by the VAO, and uh, and that was to mail in these postcards. And they literally got there, like they made a difference. And that was Maria and the group there at VAO. Just you know, give us a little bit more around that because I think it's a a real big story to highlight. Absolutely. So uh, VAO, um, you know, basically. Uh, created uh, this campaign, um, you know, a really great uh, job uh, Maria did. And, and it's really important. She uh, ra- really rallied the industry at the time to get the vape shops involved uh, because, you know, how will we be able to reach um, the vapors directly is really to have the efforts of all the vape shops and have to commend all the vape shops for putting a tremendous effort uh, to getting their customers um, to uh, let them, let the government know how important flavors uh was to them, right, to transition them out of, a smoke, uh, out of uh, smoking cigarettes. And I think it really, um, seeing that on the consultation summary was really important because it did show that flavors played an important role um, of transitioning uh, a lot of, uh, of smokers to vaping. And not only that, if we look at tobacco flavors and, you know, going back to Nova Scotia, you know, the complete ban on flavors except for tobacco, um, this, the, the province of Nova Scotia have to really understand only 6% of vapors out of that uh, postcard campaign, and it reflects nationally too, there's data that we can prove that only 6% uh, of vapors use tobacco flavors. So there's 94% of them that don't. Right. It shows you that flavors do play an important role. And I think in that consultation paper, they also outline 9% of the users use uh, mint and menthol, right? So, you know, we have to understand that eight, more than 80% uh, of vapors uh, use flavors outside of those two categories, right? So it's important to address that because we need public health groups to understand that flavors do play an important role. But the most important thing is how do we restrict um, how certain, how some of these products should be sold, right? right? And I think if we look at Ontario government, they've done exactly that, right? Control uh, how flavors are being sold and can be accessed, uh, and, and also nicotine concentration level, right? So it's a it's a, it's a fine balance. Uh, one of the other balances, and we're, this is the last, I think, of this specific on the federal stuff, and then I want to jump into Nova Scotia, talk a bit about British Columbia and so forth, and some higher levels with regards to health statements, relative risk, and so forth. This is the nitty-gritty here. Um, so as well as these um, restrictions that have come down on advertising and promotion, there was also um, a release, a Gazette release that was all on the labeling. And you guys at CVA um, trying to address some of these issues jumped in with um, a guidance document, 
And so I'm just going to show it a little bit of it while uh, you're talking and uh, describing what we're seeing here. But um, this, I mean, this is this is some highly technical stuff in just in terms of what you have to communicate on labels. And I'm just amazed about how you could even squish all this in. And I guess in one point here that I'm showing is one of the tags uh, that could potentially be used to do that, which has also uh, been somewhat controversial just in terms of implica uh, implementation. So fill us in on this, please. So Brett, this goes back to uh, in December when uh, the CBA met with Health, Health Canada, we have our quarterly schedule meetings uh, and the regulations uh, at that time, this was, uh, uh, this was already Gazette 2. Um, and uh, one of the concerns that we addressed to the government was seeking that guidance document uh, that we really needed to guide the industry. Because if we look at the regulations, there's a lot of legal language. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, not, not, I would say probably that there was a lot of not, uh, no clarity in regards to how the labeling and packaging should look like. Um, and, you know, what we really needed to do was uh, we, we made a commitment uh, to the government that we would get the industry compliant, right? So this was during the time where, um, you know, there were uh, 80,000 product seizures, right? Uh, and um, we did meet with the director general of the enforcement program. And some of the concerns was, uh, you know, this was took a lot of tremendous resources from the government um, to not only go and inspect, but uh, to, of course, uh, seize 80,000 products. Um, and, uh, you know, what is the industry going to do and what is the CV going to do to address that? Because, you know, the government uh, uh, wants to see uh, us not only rally the industry, but to really get the industry to be fully compliant. So what we end up doing was really the CV was uh, we, uh, of course, went through the regulations, identified the requirements that the government wanted uh, us to comply with, um, you know, toxicity information, health warning message, uh, nicotine concentration level. So what we end up doing was really gathering all that information and really ma made it available to the entire industry um, to say, um, you know, every manufacturer is going to do their labels differently, but these are the requirements that are set out. And so these templates weren't really to tell the whole industry to follow them, uh, but really to guide them, you know, how the information could be laid out uh, and what the requirements are, what the font size, uh, height size, um, all those type of requirements and how they would look like on, on the label itself. So it was really important for us to do that because, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're part of the, uh, uh, the commitment um, to bring the industry to be fully compliant. And we do not want to see 80,000 product seizures. And one of the things that I brought up was, you know, we don't get a guidance document from Health Canada. And I told Health Canada this was that we're going to probably see a million products that are not going to be compliant because the industry is uh, confused. Uh, there's different interpretations out there. Um, and, um, if we don't get some clarity, um, there's a high chance that we're going to get a lot of non-compliance. And it's not because we don't want to be compliant. We do, but we need a lot more clarity, right? Um, so, uh, and, you're, so, And you're not getting it. That. They don't have the resources, really, is, is apparently what Health Canada said, right? They just are not, unable to provide guidance in all the different manifestations of the regulations. Yeah, so what we end up doing was we create this guidance document made available to the entire industry 
Um, at the same time, we did send a copy to Health Canada as well, right, just to let them know what we've been doing as CVA to bring the industry to compliance. Right, we also even gave uh, we also even uh, gave them uh, bottles, right, um, samples to look at um, to show our commitment that we want to be uh, to be part of the solution when it comes to uh, compliance, that they can rely on the industry to to do their best to fully comply. Would you say that, is it fair to say that to some extent, regardless of it's on, you know, on purpose or as part of the plan, uh, or if it's a matter of resources being one of them, but in the end, is the government not relying on the industry to do a bit of self-regulation here, even though it's not the typical self-regulatory model? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's really important um, that, uh, and we have been self-regulating since, uh, since the industry started, right? So uh, there were, uh, you know, a number of uh, retail vape shops and organizations that were self-regulating, uh, whether it's creating some sort of manufacturing standards at the time when there was no regulations, to um, really uh, making sure uh, youth don't have access to these products. Um, and, you know, we, we are trying to show the government that we're being responsible um, and, you know, a, a lot of the uh, onus has to be put to the industry. Um, and as CVA, uh, you know, we represent uh, not only retail vape shops, but manufacturers. Um, it is, uh, the government's put in, it is our responsibility to get the industry to comply. Um, and simply because, you know, uh, they're not talking to anyone else, um, but the CVA, and we do have quarterly scheduled meetings. So uh, there's a lot of uh, pressure um, to be part of that. So. Um, that's why it's really important for us to not only provide uh, our regulatory review to the industry, but to make sure everyone's on the right track, right? So I think what we really want to show the government that, you know, we know uh, the industry is being regulated. We want to be responsible, right? And we're going to do our best to comply. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the key things, Brent, was, you know, I think yesterday the guidance document or guidelines came out from Health Canada. Uh, to address the vaping products labeling packaging regulations. Uh, and that was something that, um, you know, for a long time we've been asking for guidance document and uh, we were never really given any guidance document. And it's really great effort on Health Can's part to really listen to us with every meeting that we do have. We always talk about guidance and having some sort of guidelines. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, the government's starting to, to realize that, hey, let's, let's make sure we guide them in the right track um, so we uh, so we can get the industry to be compliant. Because I think one of the, the things that we've seen, Brent, is uh, when the government did post uh, other product seizures, 80,000 product seizures, uh, it was also made public. Uh, but also a lot of um, health groups, um, public health groups, anti-vaping groups, uh, whatever you want to call it, really took advantage of labeling the industry as, well, they're not compliant, they can't be trusted, and that's a major concern for us uh, at CVA. Um, you know, we, we, we definitely don't want the entire vape industry to be seen as that, uh, especially, you know, many of the people in the industry are working very hard to be compliant um, and, you know, and being the great gatekeepers that they are for this industry. So it's really important for us to do our best efforts and not to really give them any position to attack us on that front. And, and it's interesting because, you know, Daryl myself did have a meeting to address the, uh, the product seizures with Health Canada. And we did make a commitment that we are going to bring the industry to be more compliant, but we also need the government's cooperation. Would you say that 
Health Canada has lost uh, some of the trust they might have had for the industry? Sorry, Brett, uh, in regards to... In, well, in regards to... Well, with in regards to the enforcement and, you know, the seizures and so forth, there was quite a beating. That, that came at the worst possible time <laughs> with regards to everything else that was going on. So I just, I'm just curious to know whether or not, you know, has there been some damage done, do you think? I mean, I would think obviously there has been. I mean, certainly even just from a harm reduction point of view, more Canadians believe that vaping is worse than smoking. I mean, it's it's really gotten bad out there. So I'd imagine that there there must be some trust issues uh, that you're having to deal with. Brett, I, I don't, uh, you know, we have to look at, I mean, we've gone through a number of director generals over, over the past, uh, you know, a couple of years. I think we've gone through three of them. Right. So I think we have to understand is that um, I don't think there's a trust issue. Um, you know, we've been quite uh, honest with Health Canada. I think the issue is really driven by youth uptake, right, as their top priority to address that. Um, and the reason why I say this is because, uh, you know, Health Canada um, has acknowledged um, when it comes to compliance, uh, the work that we've been doing um, in terms of uh, bilingual packaging compliance, uh, you know, uh, even look at Gazette 2, right, what we're, we're trying to do to create this document to really get the industry to be fully compliant. Um, they do see the effort that's being put involved, right? It, you know, the our meetings aren't about just talking about certain topics and discussion. It's every time we do have our meetings, we present them um, some of our policy recommendations and solutions um, on how we would deal with it, right? So even with the age verification, we presented them um, the type of software, um, what type, what type of softwares we could use, um, how it would work. Um, we, so we did actually, um, you know, take action uh, and really put it to heart on how we can offer some of those solutions uh, to the government. Um, we just really need them to mandate it um, and put it into regulation to play, put in place. Um, but we are showing our efforts, and I think it's really important that we want. Uh, from since day one, uh, the CVA has always been, we want rec uh, equitable and sensible regulation for this industry. And the only way for us to, to achieve that is to, to really uh, show the government that we, we are address some of the issues that we know they're concerned of. Uh, and uh, this not only goes um, across federally, but even to the to provincial government. Exactly. So, um, and I do want to get to provincial governments in a second here. Let's just, I want to go back to your document and the labeling here. And, and this is an example, just some information around health warnings. And that's really the key thing. And that's what we said in our lead here today is that the health warnings are really the big change. They want the health warnings on any advertising that, so advertising such that it is, that's still available to be used by the industry must have the health warnings. The health warnings need to be on all of the packaging and so forth. And here's just an example from your guidance document uh, with regards to that. And, you know, we're nicotine is highly addictive. Fair enough. You know, you know stuff that says that it's toxic. I mean, yeah, you can't argue with chemistry and so forth. However, it's not the harm reduction argument. And when we go back to, um, sorry, we go back, that's my Alberta. So here's a, a slide um, that's taken out of the TVPA. So this is actually out of the law. Vaping products, the purpose of this act with respect to vaping products is to support the objective set out in subsection one, to prevent vaping products use, youth, excuse me, youth use is what I say all the time, product use from leading to the use of tobacco products 
by young persons and non-users of tobacco products. So to protect young persons and non-users of tobacco products from inducements to use vaping products, to protect the health of young persons and non-users of tobacco products from exposure to and dependence on nicotine that could result from the use of vaping products, to protect the health of young persons by restricting access to vaping products. So this is in what's already in law, you know, uh, to prevent the public from being deceived or misled with respect to the health hazards of using vaping products and to enhance public awareness of those hazards. So this is, you know, and we reported this from the moment that uh, the originating legislation, which was Bill S-5, was tabled in the fall of, of 2016, right up in like section one, you know, vaping is a health hazard. And once you enshrine vaping as a health hazard, there's no room for harm reduction. So the industry, we argue harm reduction, we try to make that point, Health Canada might acquiesce, you know, uh, uh, you know, to that. But in the end, the law says it's a health hazard. The law says the entire goal of the law is to uh, make sure the public is aware of those hazards. So where does the room come in here for vaping to, you know, communicate to smokers that uh, this is a viable option for them? So, Brent, I think uh, we go back to looking at the Tobacco Vaping Products Act. The government's put forward two pathways. Uh, one, of course, is a consumer product, and the other pathway is a therapeutic uh, product. Um, and, you know, we look at... Um, there's no doubt, right? The long-term effects of vaping is unknown, um, but there there are ways to to understand, and there's testing and emissions and toxicology that can put forward um, to really identify whether um, you know specific types of you know would you say e-liquid in general um, is toxic or non-toxic, right? If we look at the European Union, they do have those regulations in place. They not only have emissions, uh, but toxicology is a mandatory requirement. Um, and that actually is the science aspect of identifying whether a liquid uh, is, uh, is, uh, is toxic or not. Um, you know, I think one of the key things is manufacturing regulations have yet to come. And uh, there's no doubt that uh, there's more regulations coming for the vape industry and uh, manufacturing regulations will address that. Not only um, GMP and manufacturing standards, but also emissions and toxicology, right? And I think... Um, Again, you know, we're still at the very early stages of being regulated until full regulations are put in place. Um, and, and I believe, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, when it comes to uh, the health hazard side, side of it, I mean, the, this will uh, really eventually, some, when we're somewhere down the road, once we do have those manufacturing regulations, that will address whether your product is, 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 is uh, you know, I think the most important thing is, the government is concerned about consumer safety. So everything that they do is all evolve around ensuring that uh, whether it's a vaping device or a vaping liquid, that the product is safe for consumers to use, right? Um, so I think uh, we are going to see those type of regulations come out eventually. Uh, and when they do come out, um, there is that pathway um, to, uh, again, I keep talking about therapeutic pathway. There is that pathway to, to make those health claims, right? So it's not like the government didn't put that uh, made available, but again, I think the science and uh, those that do take that path will eventually be able to to do that. And indeed, right before the vaping related, uh, I believe before the vaping epidemic uh, popped out, uh, Health Canada had sent out a feeler and had gone up on their website 
uh, for feedback and, you know, organizations such as yourself and other organizations, including those that are not uh, pro-vaping, uh, responded. And what this was, was Health Canada. Uh, and this was an extension, you know, after TVPA was put in place. This is also impacted by, you know, things that the industry had been asking for. What can we say that can communicate some form of benefit to smokers? Because if we all agree that, that if smokers can transition, that they're better off for their health, Health Canada understood that. And then, of course, they had their um, science advisory panel, which, of course, many of those members have been on RegWatch many times. And they were providing Health Canada the advice and counsel that we need to have statements. The industry should be have should have pre-approved statements um, that they can utilize inside their marketing. And kind of the trade-off being, you know, we can restrict access. Uh, you know, we can do a whole bunch of things. We can accept, you know, you know advertising and promotion to be restricted but yet we still have to have a pathway to be able to talk to the smoker. And so it appeared that Health Canada had been getting that. They had put out a, um, a document. Now, I've got this in Word because, of course, it doesn't exist anymore on the website. It literally, it was, it was October 5th is when I put this together. I was probably around the date that they had released this. And Health Canada's proposed list of statements for use in the promotion of vaping products. These are some of the ideas that they kicked around. If you are a smoker, switching completely to vaping is a much less harmful option. I mean, that sounds pretty common sense. While vaping products emit toxic substances, the amount is significantly lower than in tobacco smoke and so forth. Uh, the chemicals are much lower. Completely replacing your cigarette with vaping product will significantly reduce your exposure to numerous toxic and cancer-causing substances. Switching completely from smoking to e-cigarettes will reduce harms to your health. Completely replacing your cigarette with an e-cigarette will reduce harms to your health. So these, you know, got a lot of people very excited that there might be an opportunity to actually be able to communicate what is considered in some places scientific fact uh, without, you know, running afoul of the, of the TVPA. So what's CVA's thoughts on this? I know that in, in your press releases with regards to the advertising and promotions regulations that came down last week, one of the key things you did uh, single out is like, hey, where are these health statements? So what are your thinking, what is your thinking on this? And do we know anything about, are these completely off the table? Brett, so it was quite interesting. We talked about the relative risk statements because, um, you know, when, uh, when I was government relations chair, those relative risk statements uh, were presented to us uh, by James Van Loon uh, at Health Canada and asked us what we thought about those statements. And, you know, we, we thought they were, of course, great, right? It was a very major step for us to, uh, you know, to take the opportunity to uh, to talk to smokers that there's a less harmful alternative with these relative risk statements. So one of the issues, uh, of course, is uh, there were a number of them, as we can see, and then as far as I know, they've been narrowed down to to, to a few only. Um, the relative risk statements are still there, um, oh. but one of the issues is that um, we have to address youth uptake, right? Uh, and that's hence, uh, you know, uh, CBA uh, put out a release to talk about the relative risk statements. Now that advertising and promotions are restricted to um, adult-only environments or adult-only places, you know, give us the relative risk statements uh, that we can then talk to uh, adult smokers or looking to transition. Because we have to look at the lung illness. Uh, Evoli has made a major impact to change perception of vaping. Um, and we've seen many vapors have gone back to smoking cigarettes um, 
during that time uh, last year, uh, you know, starting September, right? And the industry has been seeing a major decline in sales, right? So if we look at if there's a major decline in sales during a volley, where are those people, what are they going back to if they're not vaping, right? So it's a major concern. Um, and, and, you know, it really took almost, you know, you know, three, four months afterwards for people to realize that it wasn't attributed Evoli wasn't attributed by vaping nicotine liquids. It was attributed by vaping uh, THC. Uh, that was, the, of course, laced with vitamin E acetate as being the problem. Um, now we really need to talk to those uh, because there's still 5 million smokers out there, Brent. You know, 45,000 Canadians die um, each year um, from smoking-related diseases. That is one in five deaths in this country. That is a major problem. Uh, and we have to have the ability to talk to those uh, smokers so that they know that there's a less harmful alternative out there for them, right? Uh, and those are willing to have the will to make a commitment to, to quit smoking. Um, we want to be able to veto them in an adult-only setting, right, which makes 100% sense. When we, when we talk about advertising that the industry would still be allowed to do, I mean, it seems to me that, like, you know, the perfect example would be, you know, washroom at a bar right? You know, guys or girls washing either way and be able to communicate there. So the, they're, so those ads should be allowed. So the question is, what do you actually communicate? Because there's so much constraints around communicating any kind of relative risk or health benefits. You can't do any brand advertising, uh, you know, in, in, in any, well, you can do, but it can't be lifestyle. I mean, it's just like every step you go, this whole thing just seems to be a constraint on the industry's ability to communicate, which presents a problem too, because once, you know, when these media, you know, hailstorms hit uh, on issues, you know, there's been no pre-prepping, you know, building, you know, awareness and so forth with the marketplace. And so it really leaves, it leaves the industry vulnerable. And Brett, that's right. And I think the most important thing is we have um, a number of conversations with Health Canada and uh, what's been really put priority, you know, we, we talk about harm reduction, um, you know, and, and being a very important to, to a lot of Canadians, uh, you know, especially Canadian smokers. Um, but, you know, the government has a top priority in dealing with uh, the youth uptake issue, right? That is the number one priority. Um, and harm reduction, um, you know, will follow that once we address the youth uptake. So, um, Sam, they've really put the onus on the industry then to solve this issue to some degree, right? Absolutely, because I think the most important thing is uh, the industry, um, of course, uh, there, there's a lot of controls, right? Um, the government is giving us a pathway. We just, of course, have to comply. Um, but not only that, but, you know, being the gatekeepers and policing, um, you know, if there's any... Uh, illegal activity or type of infraction, the government expects us to report that. CV is expected to report that to Health Canada. Um, and we are ba basically um, uh, being the gatekeepers and police of this industry. And, and, and that is communicated to us by government. How does that go over sometimes with the uh, community? Not easy. Um, you know, I don't expect everyone to understand the pressure that's been put onto us. Um, but in gen generally, we, we are trying to do our best to fight for this industry. Um, and there's tremendous pressure, right? Uh, and we're trying to do our best to even guide everyone to be fully compliant. 
Uh, I think a lot of um, a lot of people in the industry have seen some major changes from the CBA. Uh, as we work uh, very hard uh, to not only work with government to ensure that we have uh, sensible equitable regulation, but the most important thing is uh, the future pathway for this industry. Um, you know, we still have uh, we see ourselves as being a, an important role when it comes to converting a lot of smokers that are still out there. Um, and I guess you know we have to tell the industry, you know, as tough as the regulations come at us, you know, we have to stay strong, do our best to comply. Um, and there's going to be, of course, uh, uh, you know, the industry is really here to stay and, and we have to really work with government to achieve that, right? So I think, um, you know, we've been having a lot of flexibility for many years, Brett, um, but we have to understand now the government's kind of taking back us that some of that control. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's really important for us to to work with them, uh, to do our best to uh, contribute to uh, to uh, to uh, minimizing and, and, and weakening um uh, some of the, the the issues that we have when it comes to kids vaping, right? So we do want to contribute in, and uh, do our best uh, to, to help the government and restrict access. And again, going back to, you know, we, this product was intended for adults and uh, we intend to make sure that the adults uh, have access to these products safely, um, but at the same time, restrict them being viewed by, by young people, right? right. So uh, the industry is willing to comply with that in a, and our submissions have always addressed that, right? We're 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 willing to work with the government to restrict uh, exposure of these products to adult-only environments only. Well, and that's that is kind of the key thing. That that's the win. There is is really kind of is kind of reminding everybody that this industry was built, you know, grassroots up. You know, small businesses, still a lot of small businesses that are involved, and probably in the majority. Um, still being the case. And then, of course, you've, you've got some real businesses that are employing a lot of people um, in manufacturing and distribution and so forth. And then, of course, you've got big tobacco um, that's involved. But, you know, to remind everybody that um, this is something that has been built through adversity, probably almost for most of the time, except for maybe in the early couple of years when nobody we weren't on the radar. And I think that, you know, from what we've seen at RegWatch and what's going on worldwide, to have gotten through COVID in Canada, and I think in what potentially could come out in the next six to eight months in terms of dealing with the regulations, you know, dealing with, you know, hopefully seeing a reduction in youth uh, use, uh, it being clear to the public that the that the industry is not preying on youth. Um, I think if those things can get handled, there's a real shot that, you know, the industry could flourish. Absolutely, Brett. I think, you know, we have to understand dealing with youth uptake um, isn't going to be a quick process. It's going to take some time. And, and one of the things that we really need, um, not only reaching out to public health groups uh, out there, is that we really need time to address this, right? is isn't something we could snap our fingers and, and do. It's going to really require implementing the age verification at the point of checkout, uh, restricting all the advertising uh, where these products can't be seen. And really, you know, when we talk about, um, and, you know, we talk to the government about you know, reviewing the regulations uh, every two years to see where we're at. Once we put in place these regulations, we really need time to see um, how how it how it makes an impact to the industry. Not only that, how does how do we uh, contribute uh, in minimizing youth uptake? And we really need that time to see that once these regulations are in place. So that's one of the things that we really wanted to to put forward to the government is to give us time to address this. Right. Um, and, yeah. and we are going to do our part to contribute. 
that's the time that the industry did not have at, from May 20. It, there should have, it should have been in 2020, there should have been two years of nice calm, you know, implementing the regulations from the TVPA, working with government on that. It's been anything but calm. We've got a couple more questions left, about 10 minutes. And just before we do that, I want to remind everybody that, of course, regulatorwatch.com, we cover this uh, industry immensely. It's our fifth year anniversary covering vaping coming up this fall. So we've been dedicated to this project. And of course, we promote fact-based science. And it's crazy that we have to uh, call out that because shouldn't all science be fact-based. But yet, we do have to point that out. Encountering misperceptions is big for us. Destigmatizing nicotine. And, you know, I've, just from a sheer journalistic point of view, it, it just begs uh, for a, a, a media outlet to be out there and, and talk truth about nicotine. And so, in that we definitely are trying to do that and, of course, hold researchers, regulators, and reporters to account. And uh, we've got great people that have been supporting us, of course, fans that do that. And then, of course, um, we've got some great companies that have done that too, as well. Um, and you can just go to Who Supports Regulator Watch. And you can see Demand Vaping, you know, obviously without John Glauser and Demand, are people here in Canada that have been keeping us going, Divine, uh, Flavor Art, Stinky Canuck, Flavor Crafters, and Vape Nation. Those guys um, are keeping our Canadian coverage going. And please, if you do get a chance to uh, give them a shout out, either a high or purchase some product, please do, because they are responsible for our Canadian coverage. And um, so back uh, as we get out of the sale, I hate that part. I really, really do, um, as you know, Sam. So let's jump into um, off the federal stuff and let's get into some uh, <laughs> Nova Scotia. Now, I'm going to go to our great friends over at Planet Vapes uh, here for this one. And uh, Canadian province Nova Scotia has published a ridiculous list of prohibitions on vaping products, criminalizing most vapors in the process. It was celebrated in the media by calls for legislators to go even further. So, you know, these guys are really good, you know, um, at Planet of the Vape. So I have not independently fully checked every single word here, but we're going after on this. So you correct me if I'm wrong here, Sam. But this is the incredible list of uh, the Revenue Act and Revenue Act regulations. So this is prohibitions on vaping products. Um, and so I guess this was as of last fall, was it? September 15th, Sam? That's correct, uh, oh, Brent. Okay, so let me just jump in. I'm just, thank you for being my verifier there. No person shall be in possession of a vaping product on which tax has not been paid or not purchased from a uh, retail vendor who holds a valid permit. Got it. The stuff that really gets crazy is no person shall transport a vaping product unless at the time of transport, that person is in possession of a bill of lading, waybill, or other documents showing the origin and destination of the vaping products. So, and then of course, you can't have more than 240 milliliters or five devices, otherwise you're dealing. This feel, I mean, obviously this is like, show me your papers. Yeah, I'll have to say Nova Scotia has the most restrictive regulations uh, in the entire country. Um, and one that obviously um, does not uh, uh, put, uh, you know, uh, in terms of harm reduction as a priority. I mean, we, if we look at the flavor ban as a really good example, you know, there are, you know, tens of thousands, if not more than that, uh, Nova Scotians that rely on flavors uh, to, to kick, uh, to, to kick their bad hat, uh, to kick, uh, to not smoke cigarettes. Um, and taking that away from them, you know, the government um, hasn't really addressed the issue, right? Um, you know, again, 
you know, looking back at Ontario being being the regulation that we want most provinces to follow is that we can't forget about the adult smokers and the vapors out there. Um, provide them access is really important, right? We understand dealing with youth uptake uh, and youth vape uh, va uh, youth vaping rates issue is a is a major issue, but um, there's no point for closing the doors, right? Um, and I think we have to look at there are a number of provinces that actually. Um, met with the industry uh, that has met with CBA that really listened to some of our recommendations and put in place those recommendations um, to give them that control of, of how they're going to control enforcement. Um, and that's really, it's, it's very sad because, you know, we've been uh, calling on the government in Nova Scotia to meet with us to hear some of the recommendations that we do have for them. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that we never had the, the the ability or, or the opportunity to meet with the government. Uh, but now we've got probably the most restrictive regulation in the entire world. Um, and that's a that's, problem, right? We're yeah. driving people back to smoking cigarettes, right? Um, and uh, when it, we even talk about taxation, you know, there's no point to tax the industry when, you know, the tax, first of all, doesn't make sense, right? 50 cents per milliliter, um, you know, it makes a bottle of e-liquid more expensive than buying a, a pack of cigarettes. So you're not really uh, encouraging harm reduction there, right? So, um, you know, realistically, when it comes to taxation, taxation shouldn't be focused on milliliter, right? Um, you know, and uh, there's a lot of uh, policy and, and the regulations put in place in Nova Scotia that uh, that doesn't really benefit uh, harm reduction in, in adult vapors, right? Well, it sounds, like, it, so it sounds like they don't really accept the argument of harm reduction. I mean, they've gone so far with those regulations. Absolutely, right. And then we have to look at the impact to the industry, right? There's a large number of vape shops that have already closed in Nova Scotia, right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be even more, right? And we have to, and, and I, I think one, one of the troubling matters, you know, the Nova Scotian government didn't recognize even the federal government being put out there that, you know, only 6% of, uh, of the, based on the survey, uh, use tobacco flavor, right? So, th yeah. I mean, th this will give you a, a great indication that majority of Nova Scotians, only 6% of them are probably using tobacco flavors, right? So by banning flavors, um, you're really leaving them with no option, right? And this also fuels the black market, right? So now you've got uh, a major problem. You've not only destroyed uh, all the local retailers in Nova Scotia, uh, but you're feeling people from the black market to create products and sell them illegally, right? And and that's a major problem because we don't know the the products are safe. Uh, but not only that, but now you have uh, again the, what what I talked about earlier about online sales. Now, those users are going to buy their products elsewhere, wherever they can order from. So you, the government hasn't really solved the problem, right? When, when it, you when it comes to youth uptake, sure, right? When it comes to Nova Scotia, and uh, last question on this because I want to. Quickly jump into Quebec and Alberta and BC, and then I'll let you go. <laughs> so thank you for your time too, by the way. And to our audience, this is definitely going to be one of our longer pieces. Um, when it comes to Nova Scotia, do you think the opponents of vaping nationally, so your Canadian Cancer Society, heart, lung, so forth, do you think that the opponents to vaping look to Nova Scotia as an example of what they would like to see for the entire country? Well, you know, I think what's really interesting is um, many of them, of course, uh, 
would like more restrictive measures, uh, you know, when it comes to regulations to the industry. But a lot of them are forgetting um, the harm, uh, harm reduction opportunity that vaping provides. And not, to be frank, I think a lot of these groups uh, are not familiar with vaping products, right? Um, and the, uh, the important factor that flavors play an important role uh, to transition a lot of these, these smokers. Um, but again, we offer the, you know, a solution that makes sense, right? If we're looking to restrict exposure and access, um, there's no greater place than to make sure that these are available in adult-only environments, right? So we look at Ontario, right, um, and even uh, other provinces where there's a licensing regime, right, where the government can mandate a license, a specialty vape shop license um, that provides control to the government uh, and who's selling the products um, and very uh, limit um, that a lot of these products are going to be accessible at an adult-only environment where only adults can go in. Right, by completely banning that outright, um, you know, isn't really uh, the right solution. Uh, and I and I think you know we're forgetting the government's mandate is, uh, you know, and all different levels of government is trying to achieve less than five percent by 2035. And we can't deny that vaping plays an important role uh, when it comes to uh, bring uh, achieving that, right? Less than five percent smoker by 2035. Um, and by completely not understanding the role flavor plays, because uh, you know the government has put a lot of restrictions on how we can uh, create labels, market the products, right? So the industry is complying. Um, that uh, we're on that pathway. Uh, completely banning is going the total opposite way, um, and it's really important for uh, you know these uh, public health groups to understand that, right? There are other measures we could put in place to control how the products are sold. Right, restricting advertising, restricting point of sales, uh, restricting online sales, putting measures in place, asking the CBSA to put their borders back up, right, making it very difficult uh, for uh, young persons to obtain the product. Those are things that we can easily do, um, and I think that's moving more towards the right direction. What so, can I, you again, please? Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna transition us to Quebec. What can you tell us about Quebec? Well, I think with Quebec is, um, as many of you know, um, vaping products are regulated as tobacco products there. So there's a lot of restrictions in the way how vaping products can be communicated, even at the vape shop level, right? There isn't any uh, exemptions for vape shops, right? They, they have to hide the products. They can't advertise. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and hence that's why, uh, you know, uh, we had the constitutional challenge for, for a number of years now. And, and Quite frankly, you know, um, you know, one of the very few constitutional challenge uh, that's won for vaping, um, and it's really important to address that. Um, you know, Quebec. You know, our hopes really is uh, with uh, we we do know the province is looking to put forward a regulatory framework when it comes to addressing youth uptake. Uh, what I really want to address to the government is that let's not forget about um, the harm reduction opportunity that vaping can provide. Um, you know, and um, let's not forget that uh, these restrictions, um, you know, um, can be controlled, right? Uh, and let's look to the vape shops because they are already, you know, Quebec is one of the provinces that has the most regulation, very restrictive. Um, but again, this can also be controlled by the government uh, through specialty vape shops, right? And the industry is more than willing to comply. Um, and really, we, we need to ensure that the government uh, acknowledges that. 
right? Um, that, you know, vaping has converted, you know, uh, at least a million smokers in Canada and many, uh, many more worldwide. So it's really important that uh, we look towards uh, other provinces that are doing the right thing, like Ontario, really restricting how these products are sold. Right? So and, let's, uh, and that's how we're going to add control. Sure. And let's look at BC, because there's a province that they had this big 10-point plan that they had come out with. Uh, some of it had some problems, you know, one of them being, you know, the largest size of you know, e-juice would be like 10 mils. And, you know, I mean, crazy. And then obviously they have a nick cap proposed and, you know, pulling stuff out of C-stores and so forth. Um, but it, it, seemed, it seems to me that what I've heard from you and Daryl over the last four or five months has been that BC looks like it, it might sort out to be okay. So what's, but we're still waiting for those BC regs to drop. That's right, Brett. Uh, you know, we've been communicating with, uh, with the government in BC. Uh, we've also addressed some of the concerns when it comes to the two milliliter tank capacity and the 10 mil bottle size. Um, and, uh, you know, we addressed that, that that was really um, a European Union regulation um, that was focused on uh, accidental poison ingestion by um, young children, right, normally under the age of five. Um, and that, that doesn't really apply to Canada. Um, and the reason behind that is, you know, the government's put forward um, regulation when it comes to child-resistant containers. Um, that, uh, you know, that um, quite frankly, uh, those, uh, those uh, 10 point plans, some of the 10 point plan action um, is, uh, is irrelevant, right? So when we look at plain packaging, right? We address that. <laughs> Our new uh, labeling and packaging regulations are already quite restrictive, right? So um, it would also defeat uh, the purpose of, um, of the federal regulation that's being put forward um, if we went plain packaging and, and uh, they did acknowledge, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, yeah, uh, it makes sense, right? Because, um, you know, the federal regulations already um, is, uh, we get the message, right? So, right. Um, you know, the health warnings, all of that needs to be there. So we can't really have plain packaging um, because quite frankly, if we look at a, a, a 30 mil bottle of liquid, uh, the health warnings and toxicity and all that information does pretty much make up almost you know, more than, uh, more than half of the display panel, right? So there's really no ability to market any brand. Um, there's very limited space left available. Um, so we did really address some of those issues. And, um, you know, we are looking forward to the regulations to come out. Um, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's been a while. I know a lot of people are expecting it to, to drop back in April uh, 1st of 2020. And, and I think, um, you know, when the government's ready, they're going to acknowledge the regulations. And the most important thing is, uh, you know, CVA will uh, will be, have the opportunity to uh, to address that to to the industry. So now Alberta, and what's curious is for the longest time, for years, there was no movement out of Alberta at all. You know, federal regulations and other provinces coming down, there wasn't really any movement. And then all of a sudden, there is movement. And the movement uh, in Alberta is kind of a bit disjointed too, because there's what has been proposed by the health minister and then what is still being driven in a campaign, an unrelenting campaign against vaping from anti-vaping groups. Some of them are clearly anti-vaping groups like SAVE and then, you know, the regular uh, nonprofit health organizations that, you know, are traditionally in the space. So it seems to me that by no means is Alberta secure in any way, even though the regulations right now don't seem to be, you know, as restrictive as they could have been. 
Brent, yeah, I mean, if we look at Bill 19, um, the government has put forward, um, you know, their their legis their uh, their legislation, um, and I think uh, you know where the industry is really concerned is that um, the government has no intentions to ban flavors um, at the moment, uh, but this gives them the power to uh, have the ability to do so uh, if they see it, uh, you know, if they make a decision somewhere down the road. Um, I think where our my, our concerns lies is the uh, there are a, a number of groups um, pressuring the government to to uh, follow suit with uh, what Nova Scotia has done, and that is really the wrong, uh, really wrong. Uh, you know that that isn't really a, a good policy decision for any government to do. Uh, again, we we where we have to look at um, the number of Albertans uh, that have uh, converted uh, to to vaping from smoking cigarettes. The flavors play an important factor, um, and I think again, you know, we we have to look at uh, flavors should be made available, but uh, it should be restricted in how where they can be sold. And I, I understand there's 50,000 plus un, uh, youth uh, vaping in Alberta. That that's a major problem, and we can understand the government has a tremendous pressure in dealing with the youth vaping rates there. Uh, but again, we can put restrictions in place um, to make it much more harder for them to get access to these products. But again, we look at the government's policy, right? They, they are, um, you know, putting in place fines and penalties for possession of vaping products if you're uh, if you're uh, of under uh, of uh, if you're underage, right? And again, some of those policies could be stronger, right? So, you know, uh, kids would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, would be, I guess, you know, I mean, they. They would uh, not just be discouraged to use the product if they're being fined heavily. Um, but not only that, we need to look at the social sale that's going on in Alberta, which is tremendous. Um, and how do we deal with those people that are uh, deliberately selling to minors, right? Uh, the fine should be greater, right? Um, and how are we going to deal with those uh, bad apples that are harming the industry, right? Um, and again, um, you know, we, we want to be able to work with the the Albertan government to make sure we have the right policy to deal with that. But at the same time, let's not forget about uh, the adult vapors um, that really uh, need to use certain flavors to, to, to get off of cigarettes. Yeah, it's important. I mean, when I was, you know, reviewing, uh, you know, our last couple of years of coverage um, in the 2017 Youth uh, Tobacco Alcohol Survey and what the actual government had put in their consultation papers were interesting facts that we're talking, I think the number was really high. It was well over 30%, I think it's like 49, but it was, it was really high. Um, the, the percentage of youth that got their devices uh, through social sharing. And, and it's hard to reconcile that because, it, I, and I'm just putting out an observation here and then I'm gonna throw a, a question at you. Um, pretty much our finals, final question, I would say, and you can't really, as the industry, fall back on the fact that there's social sharing going on because it, it, it's not where the focus needs to be. I, I, get, the, I get that um, the industry, CVA, is, is as relentlessly um, focusing everything on youth to the same extent that the opposition and the government and everybody else is focusing on youth, even though there is a large percentage of those pe of youth getting devices that are coming from friends, family, it's social sharing, but you can't really do anything about that because that's not the industry. So um, I can understand that. I'm just pointing that out as an observation because I think it's a bit of a sticky wicket. Let me toss this at you. Overall, 
so much work had been done pre-2018. So, you know, through the early days with the HESA committee and all the, you know, presentations to parliament and so forth to really drive harm reduction. The government drops Bill S-5. It's clear it's not harm reduction, you know, but it's still, there was, it was livable. It was, you know, it was, it was legalizing vaping. And it was providing a national regulatory framework, which is really critical. May 2018 comes, becomes law. Now that process of working with Health Canada and the regulator and the industry as you're carving out, you know, this brand new industry, right? And that really didn't get going. Like you got hit on the knees on that um, in September, October 2018. By January, it has just fallen apart. Later that year, you have the provinces starting to break away. And now you've got this hodgepodge of, you know, Quebec, which was always bad. Then you've got Nova Scotia being really bad. You've got Alberta, you know, being a fight there. BC is coming, you know, and, and there's no uniformity. But yet that's exactly what the TVPA was supposed to do, was provide a uniform federal framework. So how did we get to this spot? And if you just say youth vaping, I'm going to have to figure out a second question. But are you disappointed? In, in how this is full out is is this does this undermine um, some trust from the industry's side in government to be able to come up with a regulatory framework and stick to it how do you plan a business around regulations which are always constantly changing in flux and open to local uh, you know interpretation or different local regulations well, Brian, I think it's really important when the TVA um, came out, um, you know, the government did say regulations are to follow. Um, you know, again, you know, there's lot, many components of the regulations. You've got the, you know, marketing, advertising, promotions, right, which includes marketing. You've got the labeling, the packaging, right? So we have to look at the CCPSA. There's a lot of requirements, right, uh, when it comes to products being sold. Um, you know, sure, I mean, if uh, if they came out a little bit quicker, we wouldn't have a call uh, from different provinces of, of more regulations. Um, there's still a lot more. Uh, there's manufacturing regulations that needs to come out. Um, but again, you know, I think the industry just really grew quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, going back, talking about youth uptake, you know, that, that really triggered a lot of the provinces uh, to say, Hey, we need more regulations. We have a problem that we need to deal with, and uh, the government—if the federal government isn't going to put forward tougher regulations—we're uh, going to go do something. But I think a lot has to do with maybe communication between the province and the federal government, um, because there were uh, regulations um, that made the product less appealing. Right? There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, with uh, you know, if we look at uh, Bill S five, TVPA. Uh, there's schedule two, you can't use certain ingredients, right? Um, you can't use characters, you, you know, you're, you can't use animals, you can't use any lifestyle uh, mar uh, marketing tactics. Um, you can't name flavors uh, based on the, you know, confectionery desserts, energy drink, soft drink, anything that appeals to kids. The government plan plays a lot of restriction, right? I think wh where the disconnect was um, the province and the federal government, uh, Health Canada, weren't really communicating to say, hey, these are all the measures that we put in place. It's going to be restrictive. Um, you know, these products are not going to be as appealing as what we've seen. Um, and, and I think to this day, we uh, it's interesting because when we meet with different uh, levels of government across the provinces, a lot of them weren't really well aware 100% about the federal regulations. So only for us to... 
go back to address that, that we can't uh, call this cotton candy because, you know, this is against the federal regulation. The industry's been complying uh, for some time now, right? So we're not, uh, so we don't get painted as the industry that's trying to target kids. And that's absolutely false. We haven't been doing that here in Canada. You know, the industry uh, and, you know, uh, and, and, you know, not only our members, but everyone in the industry has been uh, doing their best to comply with regulations. Um, but again, you know, I'm hoping we can change that narrative to the media so they really get an idea of what we've been really doing, right? They can't just look at us as being uh, businesses and stakeholders that uh, only care about the profits. No, we, we do care. Um, you know, those that have built uh, this industry to where it is today um, knows that uh, we've, you know, in the process, they've converted a lot of smokers, right? And um, the solutions that the CV really put forward to offer to the government is how we can control um, how these products are accessed, how these products are marketed, and we're willing to comply. Um, and we see ourselves as, um, true stakeholder in the industry um, that really wants, uh, you know, fair regulations and be part of the government's goal, right? Uh, less than 5% uh, smoking rate by 2035. And we're not big tobacco. Relentlessly the message, right? Yeah, and we, I mean, we're not. Uh, we have we receive no funding from uh, tobacco companies. Um, and again, you know, every policy recommendation we put forward uh, uh, wouldn't be something that they would agree with. Right. And, and I think the most important thing is uh, we believe in doing the right thing uh, and to really uh, control and put this access back to uh, to uh, age restricted channels. Um, and again, anyone that is looking to to quit smoking cigarettes, you know, they, they should be detailed appropriately in a vape shop. Right. Uh, and we know convenience stores don't have the ability to detail someone that smokes two, three packs a day. Mm. Right. And, and we do know that. You know, when you have something as potent as 60 milligrams per milliliter available in 20,000 outlets, if it gets in the wrong hands, we know flavors aren't addictive. Uh, nicotine is, right? And, and Health Canada is well aware of the heady effect and the buzz factor is once you have a minor um, that gets a hold of something that's very potent, you know, they're, they're not going to, you know, they're, they're a new nicotine addict. And that that is a concern, right? So we're trying to do the right thing. Um, and put in place recommendations that can control and uh, minimize youth uptake. Well, that's great. And I think that's a really good point to end on. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Right, thanks for having me. And just stay right there. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. Consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet, find a few dollars, and toss them our way. You'll be happy you didn't, so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.